Welcome to Max Volume, where we deliver loud takes at soothing decibels. I am your host, Maxwell Lewis Sanders, and this is episode 73. For those new listeners out there, Max Volume is a podcast that worships at the altar of pop culture, a place where the silly and inane are of the utmost importance. It's a pod where we discuss heavy topics like Adam Scott's head size, the joy of rewatching Real Genius, and Ted Lasso's message of positivity. No quote too minor, no side plot too small. This is a pod for the TV geeks and movie freaks. So welcome all weary travelers. Your boredom ends here. Before we delve into the topic at hand, let's start with five minutes of Seinfeld-level daily observations. So I'm on a bit of a content binge at the moment. Usually I limit myself to one show at a time. You kind of, kind of slowly, methodically make my way from pilot to finale. But somehow... I got myself into too many television relationships at once, and it's currently sucking my brain out through my eyeballs. Uh, but, in, but in a very, like, I don't hate this kind of way, like, currently I'm week to week on new episodes of Raised by Wolves, which is the Ridley Scott weird sci-fi robots on other planets, Humanity is Ending, kind of HBO Max show. And why, why does Ridley Scott always have these robots with these gooey, white, milky, gross interiors. Why do they got to be like gross and milky? They're robots. Like, why are they just made of cream of wheat? I don't understand. It's gross, but it's affecting. And I was, I'm like weirded out, but like I have to watch it every time. Like he's done that in Alien, Prometheus, all those ones. And now he's doing it in the show, but it's not the main part of the show, but it's all I think about <laughs> all, all day. And it's not great. It's not a great show, but sometimes bad sci-fi done with a high budget is just as good as other things. Like, sometimes I just want to stare at shiny future technology and be grossed out by aliens and robots who have white stuff in them and turn my brain off for 49 minutes at a time. Plus, it's got the main dude who was Ragnar from uh, Vikings. And I don't know, that dude is underrated. It's like the intensity of his face. I think he's got the best, like, stare down kind of emotional emission from his face without saying stuff of anybody on TV. Although he's not great in the show and maybe i mean maybe that's why since vikings he hasn't done anything i think like vikings took everything out of him and then we got the boys on amazon prime really kind of hitting its stride with season two it's a gross out super violent satire of the superhero industry and it's predictable for anyone who watched preacher it's a show also done by the same creator and but it's it's really freaking funny and it's really violent it's really weird and the creator, like I said, Seth Rogen, just knows how to do this stuff. Like, he knows how to rip someone's face off and make it funny, like rip the skin off. And you're like, oh, that's kind of funny, even though it's gross. Or, like, there's one scene where uh, there's a speedboat that crashes into, like, an Aquaman-controlled sperm whale. And the whale explodes, and they're just hanging out inside the sperm whale, like, inside its guts. And it's, like, really bloody and gross, but it's also simultaneously funny. Plus, the last episode used uh, the song Dream On by Aerosmith as the final song. And my God, what a banger. Like, that's a top five song I never get sick of. And works perfectly for angsty, super-powered kind of TV programming. Just perfection. I mean, if I had to make a movie or a TV show and I got, like, an unlimited budget for songs, that would be one of the top five. I think Wonderwall would probably go in there. Staring at the Sun from TV on the Radio. Smash Mouth All-Stars, because that's fun. And probably Mambo number five. I feel like Mambo number five needs like a nice montage dating or like trying on clothes kind of uh, scene. And also I'm watching on Apple Plus, I'm watching uh, Ted Lasso, which is basically 2020's version of Parks and Rec. If Leslie Nope was a, soccer, a football coach who became an English premier soccer league coach, like accidentally, 
And it's so freaking uplifting and joyous. It's made by the creator of Scrubs. I think his name is Bill Lawrence. It has that vibe of just being clever, cheeky, PG, let's all hug kind of humor that feels like, you know, just feels like you could watch it with your family and feel good about the world. And don't we all need that sometimes? You know, you can't watch Breaking Bad and Sopranos and, you know, woe is me, nihilism all the time. Sometimes you need to be picked up. And somehow on top of this, I'm also ripping through Tuca and Birdie, which is a colorful, weird, energetic BoJack Horseman kind of on Prozac show. And it's on Netflix. And I, I, I just enjoy it. It's just wild to watch. I mean, the animation alone, you can watch it on mute and you still feel like you're tripping. And I'm also slowly enjoying Richard, Ricky Gervais's melancholy show, After Love, which is about a sad widower. I mean, just saying this all out loud, it's like, I have a problem. <laughs> it's a lot. And, but somehow, none of these genres or themes really bleed together. So I'm getting my various TV nutrients. That's right. TV has nutrients. It's science. You can look it up. From a variety of sources without puking my guts out. Like, I feel healthy. I feel like every part of my brain is being, you know, satiated. And somehow with all that, I found a movie watching technique of snagging like 10 to 15 minutes of a scene while I'm doing my chores or waking up for a nap or working out. And, you know, I have this little iPad baby Bjorn kind of holder. So I just keep it kind of with me so I can just, uh, you know, I can enjoy movies on the go. Wow, that sounds that sounds really strange out loud. But yeah, my whole life's strange out loud. You know, that's why I don't say it very out loud very often. I keep it to myself. And I just devoured the movie Easy A, which was advertised as fun and light and a satirical kind of fourth wall breaking look at high school movies. And it was just that. It was fantastic. And you can see this is Emma Stone's kind of breakout role. And you can see she's basically, she's kind of like the female version of Ryan Reynolds. Just that snarky, smartest guy in the room, can laugh at themselves, goofy kind of vibe. And then I consumed an unexpected masterpiece with 1981's My Dinner with Andre. I only knew about it because the show Community did a spoof episode about the premise. And it, I guess it was rattling around in my brain for a while. It turns out my friend Sal, uh, actually, no, 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 he didn't recommend this. He recommended a book that I forgot about. But I forget about recommendations all the time. And I recommended this movie and a book to him. He's like, bro, I recommended them book to you like a month ago i was like i don't remember anything i don't even remember that he didn't recommend this to me so moving on and sweet baby jesus this movie is a timeless gem and it's mind melting and it's just an experience that is literally two hours of just two men having dinner and conversing about life and existence in a profoundly weird and moving way the entire movie outside of the intro getting to the dinner and the final scene where they're leaving the dinner it's literally just them, you know, at the restaurant just eating, and that's it. And it's got the uh, the dude from Princess Bride, you know, the inconceivable uh, bald dude who, you know, uh, has the mental battle with uh, Wesley. Uh, his name is Wallace Shawn. And Andre Gregory is the other guy. I don't know who he is, but he kind of looks like if the main guy from Jaws had, like, an older, wiser brother. That's kind of how he looks. I don't know who he is. I mean, he's before my time, I guess. But they're both two, the two playwrights who haven't seen each other in years, having a meal at a fancy French restaurant. And Wallace Shawn's like, I didn't want to have dinner with him. I heard he kind of lost his mind a little bit. You get a little prefacing that Andre's going to be a little strange. And the whole meal is basically them dissecting what it means to be a human being with this kind of far out existential debate that sounds like a kind of a Joe Rogan or Duncan, Duncan Trussell podcast. Like the topics they are discussing range from being buried alive 
diets consisting of only chicken as a metaphor for spiritual starvation, Japanese monks swindling their way into being house guests, retreats in the forest of Poland with zero English-speaking comrades, tribal dancing practices, eating sand in the desert of the Sahara, and there's endless mentions of crying and screaming and emotional truth-seeking. And it's like, it's nothing like, it's not like anything I've seen on a movie screen before. Like there's no mention of current events or dated technological references. Outside of the graininess of the 1981 kind of film vibe of it, it's a movie that sounds, feels, and plays like it occurs like today, which is, I mean, 40 years ago, and it's just, it still feels relevant. That's incredible. It seems impossible that a movie could do this with just dialogue for two hours. Like there's no actions, there's no, you know, great scene setups or anything like that. It's just, it's so philosophically dense that I had to look up the main points of the conversation after viewing because the movie just gels together into one long examination of the self in modern society. They talk about how New York is kind of a self-made prison now where it's created by its own inhabitants and how bored humanity is and how that could be viewed as a form of brainwashing from a totalitarian government who wants us all to be spiritually asleep and docile. I mean, it's so disarming to see these two innocuous upper middle class men and upscale dinner unraveling the essence of what it is to be human. It just, it's like, this seems like dialogue from another movie that got spliced into this. This should be like, you know, one scene in like my best friend's wedding. This shouldn't be an entire movie, but no, they go profound. They go deep. Like in my mind, like these guys, like I said, should be in my best friend's wedding. They should be confidently talking about the stock market or basic marital troubles or their opinions on the food or, you know, the latest, the latest recut of the Beatles albums or something like that. And that subversion of expectation is what makes the movie so intoxicating. It's how, it's kind of how we all want to project ourselves, like discussing elephant level heavy topics with silky prose and being able to resonate on a profound level, one-on-one with a peer we respect. Like that is, that is the stuff of dreams. It's appeal is certainly linked to the fantasy of being able to convey your heart to another human being without restriction or embarrassment. I mean, my God, wouldn't that be nice? When's the last time you had a conversation where you're like, wow, I said exactly how I felt. And I mean everything and I stand by it and I'm proud of what I said. Like, that's hard to do. <laughs> like, I'm usually like a little bit timid and I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Or there's a stutter or, you know, I mean, I didn't mean that. I agreed with something I didn't just to be kind of the conversation. And it's like, no, these guys are just laying it all out. Like no one I've ever encountered talks like Andrew or Wallace, Andre or Wallace. And I think that's what they intended to create here. Like the actors are both using their actual names in this film. And it feels like a soapbox for them to shout out their deepest thoughts on the pitfalls of modern existence. Andre is just kind of calmly rifling through all these absurdist foreign experiences and is attempting to show Wallace that American life and its structure put shackles on our very souls so deep. I'm my God. I mean, like you didn't expect that. (laughs) But again, in normal movies, Andre, but that's the thing. Like Andre in normal movies would be flailing at the table using wild hand gestures, drinking heavily, like eyes bugged out. You you would be like half convinced he was doing like cocaine in the bathroom or something like that. His voice would probably randomly change tones and volumes. But instead, Andre is calmly and quietly using his voice like a metronome and is subtly, like subtly blowing your mind. And he's, he's very like smartly dressed. He's wearing this almost like professor sweater and his hair is all well kempt and he just seems put together i think he has like maybe one drink like slowly over the course of the meal and he just seems confident there and completely clear about what he's saying even though his ideas seem 
a little insane for someone like him. It's jarring. And as an audience member, you can't help but laugh a few times during the movie because it's so unexpectedly deep and very tied to kind of Eastern philosophies of being present in the now, but coming from someone who seems to be like the picture of Americana and success. Like, I wonder if this movie was popular among audiences at the time, because I don't know how you market something like this without like completely ruining it. Like, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like something that would appeal to people in the early 80s and maybe like hipsters in Soho or something like that. But that's about it. And it doesn't have an like it doesn't have an elevator pitch that conveys what's really going on. Like I can't like two playwrights get deep during a dinner. It doesn't it doesn't work. It just you can't do it. So although it does warm my heart that Roger Ebert deemed this his best film of the year, and Siskel said it was his fourth or fifth best of the movie of the eighties, and I have this weird connection with Roger Ebert. He's like my cinematic father figure who I desperately want approval approval from. Like I fist bump when my views uh, on a movie line up with his star ratings. And I try not to check his reviews previous to a first time viewing because he will greatly impact like my personal opinion of, the, of most movies. Although he's terrible with comedy ratings. He got one star for Tommy Boy. I think he panned Billy Madison and uh, Happy Gilmore. And he's mediocre at his action rankings. But for drama, he rarely drops the ball. And his reviews are often more entertaining than the movie itself. So it's weird. I don't understand it, but his literary descriptions and opinions of movies are kind of one of my greatest pleasures in life. And I guess Andre in this movie would be disappointed with me that that's what's important to me, that I'm not venturing to castles in Scotland or attempting to create plays on The Little Prince. I more relate with Wallace and his easy to digest views on enjoying simple daily life pleasures as profound rather than thrill seeking around the globe. Like Wallace wants to putter around the house, enjoy a cup of coffee and the newest Charlton Heston biography. I'm like, I like my cup of coffee in the morning. I'd write like two pages in a journal, which is a thought journal. And, you know, I'll vacuum the house. I'll have a bowl of oatmeal, take the dogs for a walk, maybe write the script to a podcast and then do the podcast, which I'm doing right now. And, you know, it's the little pleasures. It's, I don't know, just little daily stuff. Like I watched this movie yesterday about blue zones, which are five places in the world where people live the longest, you know, longest life expectancy. And it seems like, seems like the stuff that Wallace is doing, the daily kind of enjoyment of, you know, the mundane is kind of how these people connect and, you know, end up living longer and enjoy its kind of community. I'll get more into that another time. I definitely want to talk about that for a whole thing, but that that's a digression. But Blue Zones rule, look up any movie about Blue Zones, they rock. And, but Wallace sees his, mo- his life kind of in small moments rather and is rather happy with viewing the world through a much smaller lens than, you know, wildly you know across the globe doing strange cultural things andre and that's the heartwarming thing about this movie like neither party is upset with the other that their view on laugh on life so uh, starkly contrasts with each other like they listen and observe with care and aren't afraid of having their perspective shifted while the other man argues his point of view it's refreshing that like all arguments are just open and there's no heroes or villains in this play just two friends talking about their sizable experiences and intellect and putting them on display and seeing what shakes out. Like I felt emotionally and spiritually cleansed by the end of this film. Like I needed to like lay down right after it. And somehow the idea of their courses at dinner, like what they're eating and the motions of going through a nice meal felt similar to how they were proceeding through their conversation, like stopping and enjoying each course individually with care and mindful enjoyment until it's gone, and then effortlessly moving on to the next topic. And you could also dissect the discussion 
uh, topic by topic, like individual courses, or taking it in as a two-hour dialogue that encapsulated uh, the entirety of the dining experience. It's up to you and your interpretation of the meal and or debate. So there you have it. I mean, God, it's a really great movie. And uh, you know, it's funny. I've never heard anyone talk about it. And I talk to some people that enjoy movies. And it just has never come up with anybody, not even in passing. So thank you, community, for, you know, randomly making me think about this movie. And thank you, HBO Max, for having it for some reason. So I suppose it's karma uh, in my cinematic soul because I was crushed by my newfound hatred of Schenectady, New York, which I thought was one of my all-time movies, but I turns out I was just a 20-something stupid hipster. And then a day later, I stumbled upon this great movie I didn't know existed. So life's funny like that. So see my dinner with Andre and, you know, talk. I'll have dinner with you and we'll talk for two hours about it, you know, about our differing life views. But until then, later.